Welcome to the family with co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brandt Bernard, and Mike Brandt. And we'll be right back. We're going to be talking presidents, like suckwad presidents, suckwad. or maybe just presidents. I don't. I'm not certain. We'll find out right up to this with the family. Walls Automotive Group, Walls.com, and Doug Sprinthal. Nissan news. This is exciting, and I'm glad Andy's here. We just got our first shipments at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan of the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue. Dude, you need to trade. This is a brand-new vehicle. It's got bird's-eye parking. So when you're backing up, you hit the screen, and it's like a spy satellite above oh. the vehicle. It is, And it's got ProPilot. It is cool. Trade your car in. Well, Melissa said she did like this one better than the last one, so maybe she'll like the next one better than this one. All right. Be like Andy and Melissa and check out the Nissan Rogue. It's been a dream of mine to be like Andy ever since he was born. <laughs> so, yeah, check out these vehicles at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and in Coon Rapids, House of J-Lo and the House of Dan Resch. Tell them Andy sent you. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant did you just talk over your own jingle? <laughs> You're a disaster. I love saying Bradshaw and Brian. I say that when I'm listening at home. Plus, Walzer.com. Walzer.com. You like that com. one, too. Yep. <clears throat> it's true. Ladies and gentlemen, it is President's Day today. President's Day inside the weirdest White Houses. Hal Markovitz, Hal, are there any White Houses that weren't weird? <laughs> um, I... Uh, given uh, the uh, recently passed administration, I would say the answer to that question is never. <laughs> <laughs> never. They're, they're all nuts. Every one of them's crazy. Like, okay, That's we'll correct, just yeah. float through. Some are hard workers and some aren't. Did you know James Monroe used to enjoy swimming nude in the Potomac? I, Catherine and I, well, my wife is here, our son Hello. Andy and uh, Michael Bryant, <laughs> a family friend and attorney and all that good stuff, but... Uh, I've been to the standing on the banks of the Potomac, the Potomac, so it's really nice to hear, Hal, that I was watching James Monroe swimming nude. That's great. Uh, yeah, he uh, used to um, uh, just take a you know an afternoon off and uh, wander down to the Potomac and uh, go skinny dipping. Hmm. He uh, hmm. had a had a thing for that, I guess. <laughs> Where do we start with this? Where do we start with with George Washington? Where does it start and where does it end, or does it end? Well, you can't start with George Washington because he didn't live in the White House. There was no White House. Then. Oh, that's that's right. There was no White House. I was thinking, see, I was still stuck on the Potomac out there at uh, at his farm. He's got. He's but got the uh, John and Abigail Adams did live in the White House, but just for I believe a few a few weeks. It, they didn't move in until the very end of his administration. Oh, okay. And Abigail Adams did the laundry, and she hung up his the president's underwear inside the White House because she didn't want to <laughs> put it on a clothesline outside so people could see right. the president's underwear. Uh, so that pretty right. much set the standard. <laughs> Why didn't she just use a dryer? Thank you very much. Great <laughs> to be here. <laughs> anyway, now, I, it, uh, hell, is it such an... Such a weird job. Obviously, this tremendous power that you have. Some say the most powerful man in the world, or soon to be woman in the world someday, uh, would be the President of the United States. 
Does it just draw people? I mean, look, there's no question. You you start with Joe Biden and go to Donald Trump and then go to Barack Obama. These are some pretty odd people anyway. They just are. They're not like you and me pretty much, are they? I don't know. Maybe it's the White House that does it to you. You're a perfectly sane uh, human being, and then once you move into that place, you, you turn into something of a kook. It's haunted. It's a system. I think it's a system. Yeah, it could be the system. That, that could be at any... Uh, so, uh, author Hal Markovitz with us, talking about the uh, many strange stories that have been circulating around the White House since John and Abigail Adams, uh, which uh, Hal just talked about, as a matter of fact. The Executive Mansion. I like the Executive Mansion. That sounds very uppity to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but in any case, well, yeah, what I want to do, Hal, is get out of your way. I want to hear you talk all about uh, how, how you did the... This tape must have taken a lot of research, Hal, I would think, didn't it? Well, um, yeah. I mean, the book is uh, titled Painting the White House. And it's actually a novel. It's a satirical story about a house painter who gets hired to go in and paint the White House. And once he shows up with his brushes and his rollers and his ladders and everything, he gets involved in all the, you know, kooky intrigues and little uh, dramas that go on behind the scenes in the White House. So when I was uh, researching, uh, when I was writing the book, I said, you know, I really want to do some historical research here and, you know, mm-hmm. make it authentic, and, you know, what color are the walls, <laughs> and stuff like that. But when I started reading up on the White House, I just came across these, you know, dozens of absolutely kooky and weird stuff that has actually happened. Hmm. You know, I mean, uh, it's definitely, you know, enough for a second book when I get the chance. <clears throat> so I, I did manage to weave some of that stuff into the into the story, but... You know, the, the story about the true and authentic uh, stuff that actually goes on in the White House will really kind of raise your eyebrows. God, it's wonderful. The so, book is called Painting the White House. It's available on Amazon and everywhere, as a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen. So I know I know you want people to read the book, but, like, what presidents, you know, are are featured, or which ones do you, they gave you the most material? You know, you could, you could go, I mean, almost from... From top to bottom, uh, you know, there's so many uh, stories about presidents. You know, you take Lyndon Johnson. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a um, swimming pool in the White House. It's yep. an indoor swimming pool. That's and, underneath uh, the press room, isn't it? I'm sorry, what? Isn't that underneath the press room? I'm not sure. <laughs> I believe it is. It, it I've is, never yes. actually... I think I was in the Boy Scouts and, like, you know, 12 years old, and we had a tour at the White House, and that's the last time I went. <laughs> okay. But um, uh, Johnson enjoyed swimming nude in the uh, swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. there were a couple other kind of weird stories about him. Uh, he, he was actually rather energy conscious, and he would, you know, he would work late, the evening, and then when he was done, he would walk around the White House, and he would turn the lights off in all the offices. Hmm. And to turn the lights off in the ladies' restrooms, he wouldn't go in, but he would reach inside and flip the switch off, uh, you know, reaching in through the door. Hmm. But he uh-huh. often uh, didn't realize that there were some staff members who were actually using the restrooms when he did that. <laughs> yeah. And he would often turn the lights off on, on the staff members' Hmm. That's not good. I bet he got a lot of hey. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) It was Johnson, so they might have kept quiet. They might have. They might have not wanted him to know they were there. (laughs) Probably true. He packed some heat from what I understand. He packed jumbo. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I have to ask you a question, Hill. Many years ago, I I, I do a morning show in Minneapolis-St. Paul. I've been on it for 35 years, and about... Oh, God, many, many, 20 years ago, maybe even longer than that. And I want to ask you if you know about this story. My two guests that, that uh, morning on the, on the morning show were Mike Wallace, the legendary newsman from CBS, and Angie Dickinson, of course, the, uh, the big uh, TV star. She played, what, policewoman and all kinds of stuff. Wonderful person. Do you know uh, about the question 
uh, Mike Wallace had. W- w- would you be able to guess the question that Mike Wallace had for Angie Dickinson? Oh, I'm sorry, I would not. <laughs> okay, well, this actually happened live on the air. So I said, uh, I'm talking to Mike Wallace, I said, Mr. Wallace, uh, in just about 15 minutes, a friend of yours, Angie Dickinson, is going to be on the show to talk about this. And he goes, oh, Angie, I love Angie, it's wonderful. I said, well, since we only have about you know 30 seconds left, do you have one question you'd like me to ask Angie Dickinson? And again, this is live on the air now. And he said, yes, as a matter of fact, would you ask Angie Dickinson if it's true she had sex with JFK in the White House closet? And I said, okay, I can, I can say that. <laughs> yeah, I'll ask her. Fifteen minutes later, uh, we, um, we have Angie Dickinson on the show. And I'm talking to her this. I said, uh, Angie, before you go much further, Mike Wallace was just trying to Oh, Mike, I love Mike Wallace. I said, uh, well, he had a question for you. Don't mind if I ask that question right now? And she goes, no, that's fine, whatever it is. I said, okay, well, Mike Wallace wants to know, Angie Dickinson, if it's true that you had sex with JFK in a White House closet. And there was a pause, and she said, and I quote, tell Mike that it'd be none of his goddamn business. (laughs) (laughs) Hell of a story, huh, Hal? The only, you know, the only story, funny story that I came across from the Kennedy years, and it, it, it doesn't measure up to that one at all, okay? <laughs> That's the story, but man. It actually, um, it actually goes back, originated with Eleanor Roosevelt, and Eleanor Roosevelt was bothered by the way the housekeepers did their jobs in the White House. Mm-hmm. And she was constantly complaining about they never... Um, vacuumed or, or swept behind the curtains, which, you know, invariably always, you know, were these uh, floor-to-ceiling curtains. You know, they reached all the way to mm-hmm. the floor. Sure. And she, sure. she complained a lot about the housekeeping staff did not get behind the curtains. And finally, she ordered all the curtains to be uh, cut like a foot off the floor, okay? <laughs> So that's what they did. They cut all these curtains in the whole White House so that uh, the housekeepers uh, couldn't get away with not vacuuming under them. So this goes on, and Jackie Kennedy moves into the White House, and she looks around and she says, what's with all the curtains? Why don't they go to the floor? And she was told this story, and she immediately ordered new curtains for the whole White House, and they all go to the floor. (laughs) Um, That does not measure up to Angie and... JFK in the, in the closet, but I thought it was a funny story. Hmm. Well, it does measure up in the fact that couldn't Eleanor have just gone to the staff and said, hey, make sure you vacuum under the curtains? You think. It would have been a lot easier, do you think, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but, you know, you know, federal employees, you know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they got unions. Hell, that's not <laughs> They got unions, you know, that kind of deal. So the did the did the weirdness start with James Monroe? I mean, it, uh, it is there any? Was there one president who stayed away? Like there are a couple of guys. I can't see Jimmy Carter or George W. Bush being all that weird. They seem like pretty straight ahead guys, didn't they? The the, the there's a couple stories about Jimmy Carter. Uh, one involves uh, the. Um, uh, working breakfasts that he would have uh, for members of Congress in the White House. Yeah, and, you know, he would invite them over and for breakfast, and they would sit in the, um, you know, the dining room, and they'd have breakfast, and they'd talk things over. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what happened shortly after these breakfasts started was that these members of Congress would get bills uh, for $4.75 each. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And Carter was charging them for being, for having breakfast in the White House. <laughs> I love wow. it. I love it. Yeah, he's trying to save There's, money. Yeah. The other, the other kind of humorous story about Jimmy Carter was uh, shortly after he moved into the White House, he's working in the Oval Office, and he uh, notices a uh, rather pungent aroma. Uh, coming out of a wall, Ooh. and and he deduces that a mouse has probably died mm-hmm. in the wall. 
Mm-hmm. So he has the uh, staff called the General Services Administration, and he tells them, and they tell the GSA, there's a, ma- a dead mouse in the wall of the Oval Office, please get rid of it. And the GSA responds, we're sorry, we can't do that. We're only responsible for the maintenance of the White House inside the walls. Okay, the staff says, so they call the National Park Service, and they tell them to get rid of the mouse in the wall. And the National Park Service says, we're sorry, we can't do that. Uh, we're only responsible for the maintenance of the White House outside the walls. So uh, the question here is, which branch of government is responsible for exterminating the mice in the White House? And the answer is evidently no branch of government <laughs> is responsible for that, uh, for that responsibility. Uh, Carter did get rid of the mouse, but history does not record exactly how that happened. Hmm. That is so nobody, they would not do it for him, even though it would have taken two seconds. They just didn't do it. They wouldn't do it for him, even though he was the damn president. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's well, just Like you odd. said, federal employees, it's not in their job description. It's not happening. <laughs> well, that's pretty much true. Hal, I'm going to take a very, could you stay for another segment? Uh, I'll take about a two-minute oh, break. Is that all right? My pleasure. We'll be right back more with Hal Markovitz. Again, the book is called Painting the White House. It's available on Amazon and everywhere you get your books. We'll be right back with Hal. Tom Bernard with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. Michael, can you tell me, what do you like most about your job? Well, I know we only have a minute, so the short version is how we build relationships with our customers, being able to drive around town and see all the businesses we've been able to help, and how that translates to jobs for their employees, and the impact that makes on families in our area. It's truly rewarding. I also love to see the families that started banking with us 22 years ago when their children were young. Now those kids are adults. They're banking with us too. Lastly, I'd say seeing our customers' reactions when we're able to do something unexpected for them, like deliver cash directly to them when they need it, but physically can't come to the bank. I love what I do. Did you bring some of that cash here today? Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Dan Chesky is here from Dan Southside Marine to talk boats in February. 2021 is all about boat inventory or the lack thereof. Dan's has what you're looking for in the color and model you want. So get in and take advantage of the factory incentives and discounts February offers. Why should our listeners shop for a fishing boat at Dan Southside Marine? We have the latest models on display, like the new Revolution. It features rotational seating from Premier Marine and the new Lumacraft FSX crossover fishing ski. Both are getting tons of attention and grabbing sales from the competition. Dan Southside Marine is packed with pontoons from Avalon, Berkshire, and Premier with all the rebates and incentives we mentioned at the top. Get the family out this weekend and come see these amazing pontoons. And be sure to ask about custom-rigged Alumacraft fishing boats this weekend at Dan Southside Marine during our February open house. Dan Southside Marine, six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Our special guest, Hal Markovitz's book is out on Amazon. It's available everywhere, as a matter of fact. Uh, I uh, I loved one of the uh, the one the names of one of your books. Two hundred books. You've written nearly two hundred books. Is that right, Hal? Yeah, but uh, most of those are for uh, what's known as the school library market, and right, they are. Yeah. Uh, Nonfiction books written for kids on current events and social issues and, and that sort of thing. Did, so, did you ever meet Tupac? No, I did not. No, because <laughs> that's the one I saw that was like I, that, that one was cool, you know. So, <laughs> well, they all were pretty cool. No, they're all. He's, I, he's got a yeah. He's got a book called uh, "My Life with Wings." So you know, he played with Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. How bad can that be? You know, <laughs> just kidding. Wow, Tupac My Life is... with Wings. Tupac's like a certain level. <laughs> oh, God, here we go. Here we go, Hal. That's all I have to say. 
Uh, okay, as far as the weirdness is concerned, now, anything on Taft in the book? Taft was a very odd human big being, guy. was he not? Yeah, he's a yeah big there's fella. a couple funny, uh, couple funny stories about, about Taft. Um, he was actually uh, the first uh, president to own a car. Oh. And he, he liked to take the car out for a drive. And <laughs> in those days, there weren't you know, very many car owners anywhere. But there were uh, a group of them in Washington, and they all had this kind of, it was an unofficial association, if you will, that they would meet at a certain time at the Tidal Basin in Washington, and they would uh, race around it, and it was nicknamed the Speedway. And William Howard Taft, the President of the United States, uh, would uh, jump in his car, and he would go out and race going to an, uh, an auto race <laughs> around the Tidal around the Basin in Washington. Okay. And, uh, I, I don't think you can imagine anybody doing that today. <laughs> much, but, but that's what Taft did. And a couple other kind of little quirks about Taft, and, and this is a quirk, of course, it's kind of unfortunate, but he did weigh 340 pounds, and he was unable to fit into the White House bathtub so right. they had to install an oversized tub just for the president. God, you can't fit in a bath. Those bathtubs were not small, by the way. If I can, you know, well, maybe this one was as a possibility, but you'd have to be pretty big not to fit in a bathtub. I will tell you that. He's a big boy. <laughs> well, he wasn't that tall, though. Wasn't he like five, six, or something? I don't have that information recorded, but I do know he weighed three hundred and forty pounds. <laughs> I don't have that information recorded. I like that. That's a good way of putting it. There's no question about, no doubt about that. I uh, do you have any? Let's say do you have three favorite presidents. After all the you know the research you've done and all the rest of it, do you have a, a few presidents that you really thought a lot of? Well, I mean, you got to love President Nixon for you know any number of reasons, but he's also responsible for two of the funniest stories that ever came out of the White House. And if you have a couple minutes, I'll be happy to well, go over them. Absolutely. Love to hear them. Well, Nixon, the first story uh, involves uh, Nixon's daughter, uh, Tricia Nixon, who got married in the White House. Mm-hmm. And it was a, just a terrific, it was a rose garden ceremony. It was in all the society papers, and the magazines and whatever. And, and it was just a delightful day. But shortly after the wedding, a uh, producer of pornographic films uh, decides to make a movie uh, spoofing the Rose Garden wedding. He makes a pornographic movie, which, by the way, featured uh, transgender actors. So uh, this thing's out there. And Nixon's chief of staff was H.R. Haldeman, who you may recall uh, went to jail in the uh, Watergate scandal. But Haldeman finds out about this movie. I don't know how the chief of staff of the White House found out about a pornographic movie, but he did. And he was absolutely livid about it. And he called a meeting, and he said, we have to kill this movie. We have to get rid of this thing. We have to get this thing out of the, out of the culture, out of, out of society. I want this movie killed. So they decide uh, they need to see the movie. And they actually dispatch a member of the White House staff out to buy a copy of this movie. Now, this is this is in the 1970s, and this was before VHS and DVDs and streaming and everything. So they actually had to go out and buy this, I guess, eight or sixteen millimeter copy of the movie. Oh, and the uh, the guy gets it and he brings it back, and they all uh, retreat down to the White House bunker to watch the movie. So they actually screened a pornographic movie in the White House and um, <laughs> saw this thing. And one of the, uh, the uh, members of the staff who saw the movie was John Dean, who was the uh, White House counsel, uh, who also you know, eventually ended up in jail. But Dean watched the movie, and he uh, spoke up, and he said, well, it is in bad taste, terrible and it's hard to watch and everything but hey we have a first amendment in this country so i'm sorry we can't do anything about it and Mm -hmm. they didn't they ended up not uh, 
trying to get the movie killed. Mm. So that's the first. Uh, that's the first Nixon story. Uh, screening a pornographic movie in the White House. The second involves um, Elvis Presley, who we all remember. Sure. And yeah. Elvis, Elvis was a uh, uh, a police buff. Mm-hmm. He collected uh, badges and belt buckles and, and that kind of thing from you know police departments. He had his eye on a badge for the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA. And he asked around, and he found out the only way you can get a DEA badge is to get sworn into the Drug Enforcement Administration as an agent. Well, and, you know, Elvis isn't going to do that, but he gets the idea that he can get uh, an honorary uh, membership in the DEA, and, you know, sworn in, and he'll get the president to do it. So he calls up, he calls his gang together down there in Memphis, and he tells them, we're going to go to the White House today, and we're going to go in, and I'm going to get sworn into the DEA agent. So they pile into a car, and they go out to the airport, and they fly up to Washington, and they hire a limo, and they drive right up to the White House gate. Elvis jumps out. He's got on one of his velour jumpsuits, you know, with a cape. Sure. And he goes up to the sure. gate, and he tells the guard, I'm here, uh, I'm Elvis Presley, I'm here to be sworn into the DEA uh, by President Nixon. Okay? He had no idea he was coming. So the guard calls into the White House, and he tells them what's going on. And, you know, they all huddle together and they have meetings, and what do we do about this, what do we do about this? And they decide, this will be a good idea, this will be a great publicity for Nixon, we'll get a picture taken, this will be terrific. So they find some space in Nixon's schedule that, uh, you know, after lunch or something. And they, uh, Elvis comes into the White House, and he goes right into the Oval Office, and they take a picture with Nixon, and that picture, I understand, is the number one selling souvenir at the Nixon Library in California all these years really? later. Really? Wow. Yeah. Taking and care of business. Nixon gives him the, uh, Nixon gives him the DEA badge, and Elvis has brought a gift into the White House to give to Nixon. And we sit here, what, 50 years later, and we can't believe what it was, but it was a gun. He brought a gun into the White House. Oh, God! (laughs) History uh, does not record uh, whether the Secret Service agents soiled their pants at that point, but everything was fine. Uh, It was okay gives him the gun, and they take the picture, like I said, and Elvis leaves. And the funny uh, postscript to this story is Nixon tell, turns to his aides and says, who was that guy, by the way? I, I don't know. He's the king of rock and roll? I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> it, was he sincere? Did he really not know? Uh, hmm. Apparently, uh, he had to ask his daughters who that was. <laughs> oh, God. Dick, Dick, Dick. Do you ever hear what uh, Louis? Do you ever hear what Louis Armstrong did to Richard Nixon? One of the great stories of all time. They were on their way back from somewhere in Europe, but I don't know where. But it just happened that Louis Armstrong, his plane landed right next to to uh, Richard Nixon's Air Force One or whatever back then, and so they're walking, you know, through the tunnel to get into the airport, and they're talking, and Louis and and um, Richard Nixon having a schmooze and having a great time, all the rest of it. It's time to go through, uh, you know, a little security. And Dick Nixon said, hey, I tell you what, why don't we do this? Because Louis was going to fly somewhere else. He wasn't going home. He was going to fly somewhere else. So we had to go through security. And they said, tell you what, I'll walk over there with you, Louis. You don't have to go through security. I'll just walk over there with you, and they'll, they'll let you right through and all the rest. That would be wonderful. Uh, Louis Armstrong revealed years later that he had three pounds of pot yep. in his luggage. <laughs> God. Got Dick Nixon carrying pot through an airport illegally. Unbelievable story. It is amazing, oh, though, to be around. There's, there's White House pot stories. Uh, Willie Nelson. Yep. Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. I believe, I believe it was uh, Gerald Ford's uh, kids. Uh, you know, they were only there for about a year and a half or so, and they made the most of it. And they would invite uh, a lot of rock stars and, and other singers and, and all kinds of celebrities into the White House. And the story is that Willie Nelson 
showed up one day and he went up to the roof and he, he smoked the joint up on the roof of the White House. Why not? When Greg Allman was at the White House, he said that he smoked with one of the staff members, and it was actually Jimmy Carter's kid. And okay. Jimmy Carter was always thankful that he left his kid out of it in the in the original story. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Yep. That was nice to leave him out yeah, of the there's, story. There's, there's no question there's about White that. White House pot stories. Sure. Uh, it is magnificent. Ladies and gentlemen, painting the White House novel out now. It's available on Amazon and everywhere. Hal, thank you for your time today, sir. Hal Markovitz, M-A-R-C-O-V-I-T-Z. Hal, have a great day, sir. Wonderful talking to you. All right. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with the family. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. I met the folks from Shift Real Estate last year on our way to Key West and loved their story. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees because they list for a flat fee of $5,000, and that includes photos, MLS listing, online marketing, and the assistance of a full-time realtor. Tell Shift about your home, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more. Shift Real Estate, the common-sense way to sell your home. Visit shift2sell.com because life is expensive enough. There are definitely things to avoid during a Minnesota winter, like licking a flagpole or waiting too long to replace that car battery. But number one on the list is taking a chance on your furnace. Hey, Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, reminding you that a furnace clean and tune will improve efficiency, reliability, and peace of mind. Or maybe it's time to take advantage of Sabre's rebates and upgrade to an energy-efficient Bryant system. Don't take chances on your comfort. Visit SabreHeating.com. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin, is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is the equal opportunity employer. We are back. Ladies and gentlemen, I just looked on the uh, front page of the Star Tribune or just the opening page of the Star Tribune website. Canada says cancel your vacation plans. Canada tightens border rules. Mm. You are not going to be able to get in or get out of Canada for a while. It sure looks like it anyway. Mm. Man, my friend Doug Dawson, he he goes to Florida every year and lives in in Florida in the winter. For almost seven months, I think. For almost seven months, Mm -hmm. he stays down there. And he uh, couldn't come this year because they shut down the border. Mm. He's not happy. He says to me, uh, back in mid, uh, nah, it's pretty much the end of November. I cannot tell you how miserable I am. I said, why? He goes, you know what I was doing today? I said, what? Hanging Christmas lights. <laughs> <laughs> he was not happy about hanging Christmas lights, I'll tell you that. Oh, doesn't he like an old-fashioned winter? <laughs> old-fashioned winter in Toronto, Canada. Now we're talking, but... I don't know. So, what do you, Michael? What do you think of this whole deal with the uh, Minneapolis uh, Police Department? They they find out they need w- more police. They're going to have to spend the money to buy them, to pay them. I should say, not buy, buy them. But they buy police. I mean, <laughs> pay them, not buy them. My mistake. That article but, that 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 uh, the commentary that letter that was in the uh, trib a couple of weeks ago by the Roseville police officer that was quitting that was interesting, yeah, yeah, and it, it's like I I wish that that uh, letter would have gone deeper because she s- seemed to blame a lot of people but didn't name anybody. Um, oh yeah, and it was an interesting kind of cross section of potential people that she blamed. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I believe the whole, you know, defund the police thing has been overblown. Um, I think there are a group of people that want it. Um, I don't think that Fry ever supported it. And the one time he was asked directly about it, he said he didn't support it um, on that mm-hmm. big rally. 
Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it does make you wonder if they would have worked out a deal with Chauvin right off the bat if it would have stopped a lot of things that happened. No, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, nobody could have guessed what was going to happen, but uh, there's definitely ways maybe it could have been headed off or de- it definitely could have been handled differently. Um, I don't know. So, Well, the, the problem I have with it all is, again, we, we talked about McConnell burying his own party because it doesn't matter to him anymore. If he serves another six years, he's going to be done anyway. So he just, you know, bad mouths his own party. You got both parties making huge mistakes, and I don't understand. And that was another one of those situations. Why do you want to tell the public about defunding the police? It's a really bad, even if you're well, considering it, don't tell the public until you got something. There's do you? a group of people that truly believe believe in it and it it happened in uh there's that little there's a town in what a new jersey um mm-hmm. somebody actually did that um and had some success i think it's new jersey um and i'm trying to remember which town it is but but they there there has been you know some studies that show that there's certain things they could do and and there there's definitely a mental illness issue that needs to be dealt with that you know that yep. police officers aren't aren't the best equipped people to handle with some of the wackos we got out there. But how do you deal with them? I, I don't know. I mean, you're not going to deal with them by, you know, telling them to settle down that this isn't going to work. Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. You send a social care worker yep. over to them and they stab them to death. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. not, that's no better. Uh, yeah. I think it was Newark, I think is where, where that they, they did that. I think, but I'm, it, I, I, I'm forgetting the name of which town it was. So, it was. Is it a smaller segment of Newark? No, I think it was the whole town, I think. That's Camden. A very dangerous oh, it's Camden. Then. Okay. Camden. Which is rather okay. small. Yep. And it also very, very dangerous. Yeah. So. Yeah, the Camden, New Jersey is a very dangerous city, as a matter of yeah. fact. It's closer to Philadelphia than it is to, you know, like, New York City or whatever. I mean, but. Well, apparently they didn't so much uh, defund or de whatever disband the police as they got rid of all of them and replaced them with new cops. Is that what they So they did? still oh, have a police did. department. Okay. It's just all new police because theirs was so crappy. Mm. Was it just really corrupt or something? It was very corrupt. Apparently after they replaced all of them, crime cut in half. Mm. So Who's they ever just... heard of corruption in New Jersey? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> happen. Sansevier's job. Sansevier was yeah, the problem. Sansevier. And actually, it's L.A. Sandy's Nick fault. apparently grew up there, too. So I think it's Nick and uh, Bob's problem. Mm. So. Oh, he didn't grow up in Philadelphia? I thought no, he grew up in Philadelphia. He actually he's, grew up in New Jersey. He's been all over the place. Oh. So, yeah. He had this short that time in true. Philadelphia, apparently. But uh, I think it's both those guys. <laughs> if it wasn't for those two guys, it would be all yes. good in New Jersey. No. no, you're absolutely right. L.A. Nick's I, life I just, uh, is second only in mystery to Tommy Wiseau's life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you Tommy go. Wiseau. There's a good comparison. I met him. Tommy He's Wiseau. Interesting dude. He's very interesting, yeah. yes. Yeah. Michael Bryant, what are you doing mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. Is that how he talks? He asked me for money. <laughs> he did? No, he oh, my God. No, oh, my <laughs> God. There's no way. He's, He's always <laughs> selling stuff yep. on so. Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's always selling stuff. Apparently, oh, he's he really? very rich. He said, I did not hit her. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I did, I did not. not hit her. I did not. Oh, God. The worst <sighs> acting in the history of the world. That's good stuff. That is true. No question about it. But but again, I, I just just one quick second in a re-reference here. I just really wish politicians would shut up <laughs> until they they know what they're going to be doing and then do it. You don't talk about doing it and drive crime through the roof because everybody's all fired up. Oh, they're going to do it. Let's get out there and I mean, crime is way up in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and I think part of not all of it, but part of it is because they ran their mouths trying to look like they're cool breezes or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, well, we're important. What? The, the thing I'm trying to figure out, though, is is there's a combination of things. You got less people downtown, so yeah. with less people downtown, more things are happening because there aren't people around us 
to just you know th- th- things don't happen to as much stabbed. in public you know well no i i because <laughs> i mean a lot of people were downtown you know it's just with there's less people there's more dangerous situations that people get into there's less witnesses and then also the mm-hmm. other part of it is i i think there's a certain amount of reporting i mean if you go back you know to back when like even when nick was doing his his uh 9 show you know there's a lot of things going on in minneapolis nobody said anything about because it wasn't in right, the business's right. interest to talk about it because they didn't want to scare people. you know. No, so, the businesses were talking about it constantly. Mm-hmm. It was the media that refused to report yeah, on it. And I, report I've, talked, on I've it. talked to journalist uh, Shelby. Mm-hmm. He said that they won't do it because they think that that makes people believe that, uh, and especially they wouldn't report on races of people committing crimes right. because that would make people mm-hmm. prejudiced against people. I'm like, what? But there are businesses that didn't want stories to get out because they didn't want to be known as a dangerous or scary place to go. Of course. No, I'm sure, yeah. But that's kind of changed because of, you know, for other reasons that it's been more. So so I I don't know. But there is a lot of things going on that that are scaring people. And, you know, there's some of it's people that won't ever go downtown again, which is really sad. And I don't know if yep. businesses are going to end up going back there again. So I'm I don't know going what's going to happen downtown. I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen have a either. Going down there, you know. There's a so, lot of people I know that they've, they've changed. <laughs> they've changed their doctor's offices. They've changed yep. their behavior completely to 100 percent avoid mm-hmm. not only downtown Minneapolis but South Minneapolis as well because yeah, yeah, they don't. True. They just don't want to end up being a victim mm-hmm. of a carjacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just or some other random drive, violence. Drive a Walzer and you're safe. So. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be good to go. No question. I don't know. I just, uh, like I said, just doesn't seem there's a lot of wisdom. Maybe, maybe there never was, I, no. I suppose, looking back. It just isn't. People just talking about things they shouldn't be talking about yet. Like, let it develop and then tell the public. Yeah. You don't just start yammering about it, you know, willy-nilly. What the hell are you thinking? Well, but there's a number of people who thought they were speaking out and they weren't being listened to or they weren't being addressed. So they got louder and louder and in other directions. Um, I, I don't know. I You know, it goes back to, you know, the whole... Nealon issue and Kaepernick and those type of things. I, I, I think that could have been handled differently. Um, I, I understand the 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 uh, problems people have with it, but I think you could have talked to him. Like I, I truly think that like when Pence walked out, I think Richard Nixon would have gone down on the field and talked to the players. And and made an event yeah, out of yeah. out of exchange of information. He would have disagreed with them and called them all mm-hmm. communists, probably. But still, he would have talked to them versus just walking out. And I I just think that's a difference in leadership that that I I, I think we long for overall of people being willing to talk to people that they disagree with versus Absolutely. fighting with them. Yes. You know. Yep. That would be nice if we could get back there. It's not happening anytime soon. (laughs) No, it's just not. There's no question about that. I don't know. Although, you know, you look back, did did, uh, George W., did he deal with Democrats? Bill Clinton didn't deal with Republicans worth a damn. Bill Bill Clinton was the greatest phone caller of any president. I mean, he talked to everybody. Bill Clinton had had an ongoing conversation with everybody. (laughs) He did. Like I said, naked women, but other than that, <laughs> no, you know. He had an ongoing he loved calling other he called everybody, he called congressmen, senators. I mean, Obama didn't like calling anybody. He was horrible. That's why no, he needed he Biden to do it. Yeah. Um Bush Bush uh, according to people, did an okay job of talking to people. But like Nixon had a great conversation with, with Democrats on the other side. Tip O'Neill and him used yeah, to be buddies. Yeah. You know, they disagree about oh, stuff, they were but big they buddies. got along yeah. fine. Yeah. You know, so, you know, that's, I. It, there's a, there, and I, I don't know, I think there was an element that came in that was anti-government, and it, to me, how do you yeah. do a job when you hate your job? You know, I mean, if you truly hated talking to people, how would you do your job? You know what I well, mean? Well, they it's, want the power, not the responsibility, that's yeah. the thing. Then, yeah. then the other, yeah. there's, there's also another argument that a lot of them come in really super young and they don't really believe in anything 
yet because they, they haven't had any experiences. They haven't been in the military. They haven't been in the Peace Corps. They haven't run businesses. Yeah. And so they basically gravitate towards people who give them money mm-hmm. because they spend time with those people. It's not that they get bought by those people, but they spend time with those people. And they end up getting real galvanized about what they believe. And, yeah. you know, yet other people that were in the Peace Corps in different parts of life that come in, I don't know, a little <laughs> bit more experienced. You disagree with them, but they had more experience overall, you know. You know what amazes me, and maybe this is why I have the view that I have, but my mother, who was an ardent Democrat, Mm -hmm. big-time Democrat, and her cousin Lamont, who was a Minneapolis cop, (laughs) was was a Lamont, Lamont Dean. Yeah. Uh, But in any case, uh, they, you know, he was a a Republican, you know, Mm -hmm. cop and all the rest of it. Never, ever heard them arguing about anything, no harsh words. They they loved one another like there was no tomorrow. And politics, politics, yeah, it entered into it, but it didn't ruin it. They didn't agree, so they just went, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's, I, I don't look at it the same way you do. When are we going to get back to the days where I don't look at it the same way you do? Mm-hmm. I, we ever going to get there? I don't know. 2024 at the very earliest. 2024. But I would not oh, count on God. it. Mm-hmm. You don't... You wouldn't hold your breath on that one? No, it's probably going to be more like 2040. <laughs> we'll come with the legalization of all drugs. <laughs> so. well, 2040. Yeah, we'll all be in a stupor, and then we won't care. Well, exactly. like, it's good to know. It'll happen when I'm 90. That's or, wonderful. Oregon's legalized marijuana or uh, heroin and, and, uh, and meth. Fentanyl. Yeah, apparently. Really? Yep. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. That seems odd. Who's you know? for legalized well, heroin? Oregon is what I understand. Oregon. Oh, that's right. The They're state. legalizing everything. Yeah, which seems... Because apparently everything. Portugal cut crime by like 25% by doing that. Portugal. Yeah, so... Well, what's interesting is if if, if they're doing it anyway, it, you know, it's a, it basically is a victimless crime unless, of course, they overdose and they die. They die, yeah. But that's their choice, right? Yeah. I guess. I mean, part of, the, part of the whole drug thing is the cartels are so evil and do terrible things to people so that people can get their drugs. I mean, they're going to do them anyway. They're getting them from terrible supply chains. So if they're going to do it anyway, and I think it's, I, I, when I say that it's, it's a terrible argument, (laughs) but it is happening, (laughs) but it's happening, right? It's happening. They're doing it. So why why throw everybody in jail over doing all this stuff? Because you're not going to stop these cartels from shipping the stuff in. We we do have a lot of people in jail for drug charges that you wonder if you know if it makes right. the most sense. You're right. You know. So yeah. and Obama- well, at one time before it, be, it became such a huge national crisis with the homeless population and and the addiction issues, I I, th- I think that they were just trying to keep. The drug cartels at bay, right? Mm-hmm. That was part of the war on drugs. Yeah. And you don't want your kids to grow up to be a drug addict, and nobody does. So being right. anti-drug makes sense. Mm-hmm. But now with so many people being addicted, I I don't know. There's got to be another way of handling it. Yeah, I would hope so. Okay, I got a, two more things got to cover before we get out of here. What is a vegan Kit Kat? There's no meat in a Kit Kat. What uh, vegans don't have milk products, right? right? No it's milk no chocolate. Milk either. So it's a oh, gross Kit Kat. Yeah, it's a gross so Kit Kat. terrible. <laughs> Although, well, Melissa and I recently discovered... So Melissa is gluten-free now, uh, has been for mm-hmm. a few months. Is that working mm-hmm. good? Yeah, it's actually... It solved everything. Um, good. So we recently... Well, Oreo recently came out with gluten-free Oreos. Oh God! Nice. They actually taste exactly like regular Oreos. No way! Yeah, sure. nope. Sorry. Ninety-five percent of gluten-free things no. are disgusting, but in this case, it actually worked well. Next, next Monday, let's do a taste test. We'll bring in gluten we and can. non-gluten, and I bet you I can nail that gluten every time. Well, I'm sure you can tell the difference because the gluten-free one is like crispier, if you, that's the word you want to use. But in, in terms of too, taste. I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't had a regular Oreo in forever, so I guess I can't oh, really okay. say. But, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, they're, they're making great strides in gluten replacement. So maybe <laughs> vegan versions of things will stop being gross one day, too. What, yeah, what was that really gross? There was a, back in the, I don't even know how long ago, there was a chocolate substitute. Oh, carob? Carob. Terrible. You can give it to so dogs. Gross. Terrible. 
that meat place <laughs> oh, or anti right. non meat place that's they were guests that's over in North Minneapolis. Oh yeah, that actually their their stuff is really pretty good. Oh, who was um, that? Yeah, yeah, it's, they are um, yeah. I'm it's amazing. To, yeah, it's I'm trying to think the, what the name of the place the, is. Their the, sandwiches yeah. are awesome. The something yeah, butcher the um, the yeah. herbivorous butcher. Herbivorous Butcher. It's right over there by uh, what's that place called? The Red Stag. Mm-hmm. The, the Red Stag. Red Stag. There yep. you go. Yep. Yeah, great spot. Okay, and the final story for today, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't want to say where they got this idea, but uh, yeah, no. You know. Most Republicans <laughs> now think something is needed. Most Republicans think something is needed. What is needed? I know. I saw the Civil story. War. Well, you saw it. <laughs> well, it's a possibility. Possibility. What do you think? What is needed, according to most Republicans? To be listened to. I couldn't to. agree more. Couldn't agree more. Probably. You ready? Most. This is a Gallup poll, by the way. This is not some Hunyuk deal. <laughs> Hunyuk poll. Some Hunyuk deal. Oh, Hunyuk poll. Gallup poll. Most Republicans now think a third party is necessary. I wouldn't yeah. doubt it. Uh, you know, when you it lose is. power and you suddenly want a third party, uh, I don't know. So, eh, you know. Well, we know what happens to one party countries. Uh, yeah. It's so never good. Yeah. Not and, a good plan. And, and it seems like the, they're demonizing all Republicans. They're putting every Republican in the same basket yeah, as the insurrectionists. So Disgusting. they need yeah. to stop that rhetoric. And it's just, it's very harmful. Well, that's what and, I'm saying. This administration and I don't think it's going to do. I don't think the Democratic Party will uh, stay intact if there is some place else to go. Because, yeah. like I, I've always said, I don't have any place to go with right. my politics. Yeah, I don't Third either. Party. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. We'll see. You know, every, the last couple presidents have all come in with all the all everything on their side, and it hasn't worked out very well. And it'll be hard. Right. And Biden's going to have right. his own little path to get through. Although he is good at working through deals. I mean, he's always been good at that. That's been his his greatest achievement over overall. So he's a good liar. He's a big liar. No, he's saying? able to work. That's people how most together. people get through deals. No, it's not. <laughs> So, you know. What are you talking about? He does nothing but bad mouth Republicans he every does day. Not. He gave a nice he speech does about too. He gave a nice speech about the presidency today. It had nothing to do with bad mouthing anybody. Oh, well never mind then. If, as long as he did that. <laughs> and he hasn't shut up about the Republicans from day one. Uh, what are you uh, talking about? So you're a pill. Quick quick <laughs> other thing. pill than you. Quick other yes. thing. Fight, your fight. speech you gave today, or not speech, but your little soliloquy on uh on um, Immunity Day was re- actually very good. Immunity it Day. It was very good. He talked about immunity and how he doesn't really, he's not in favor of immunity. When you were talking about guns today, that was, yeah. well, that was well said. Very good job. Well, thank you. Very <laughs> thank you. And it's true. Why should anybody get immunity for anything? Totally agree. Oh, well, you yeah. need certain, you need certain standards like the police need extra rights to be able to shoot people well, versus yes, the average yes, you're so right. you don't yep. need immunity yep. but you do need protections and you need laws that are set up with higher standards but complete immunity is crazy and if you're going to start giving it out we'll yes. give it to me for driving then mm. you know and we'll see what happens <laughs> okay we did i just got about 15 phone calls that said february 15th 2021 after 20 years michael bryant was finally nice to <laughs> yeah right the first time <laughs> First time <laughs> First ever. Time. First time ever. All right, we'll talk to everybody tomorrow with the family. 